this is a, a lesson that I've taught many times, and yet it's, it's the one I, I often go to because um, the needs are so great. They're just uh, great. In one, one camp week, uh, once I, in one, just, just in a couple of days of time, I, I talked to a teenager, brokenhearted. My parents are divorced. Dad, he said, was a preacher. And all three of my siblings say they're atheists now. Uh, the homes are just a mess. One teenager came for counseling and said, I hate myself. I hate myself, Brother Dave. He said, I saw porn when I was 11, and I can't stop looking at it. Um, the s same week, a teenager, very sincerely, how do we really know there's a God? How do we really know? Uh, that same week, I had a teenager say, Psh, I'm not getting married. Why would I want what my parents have? This is a mess of a and uh, the question I get asked so many times is, how, how, how do you work with teenagers today? There's questions we can't answer. There's issues we don't know how to deal with. How do we do it? And I am convinced with all of my heart that the only thing I know to do is to go to the Bible, and uh, the Bible tells us the answer to those questions. And that's why I chose 2 Timothy. Dr. Tom Farrell, you know, says that everybody needs a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas. Everybody needs a Barnabas that encourages them. Everybody needs a Paul that is a mentor to them. And everybody needs a Timothy that they are mentoring. And I want to just talk to you in this session about ministering to youth. Really, in a sense, you could call it mentoring. Uh, I, I suppose that the best way to minister to youth is the same way that Paul ministered to Timothy. And one of the reasons I love it that Timothy's in the Bible, you know, as far as we can tell, apparently Timothy's uh, mom and dad, uh, it, it appears in some sense that maybe mom was saved but dad was not. We can't totally prove that, but there can be a case made for that. In the fact that Timothy was an uncircumcised young man, although his mother was Jewish. Uh, we know that when the Bible, when Paul right here in a moment refers to Timothy's family, he doesn't mention daddy, so it appears that probably daddy wasn't saved and mom was. And so uh, dealing with issues are nothing new. In fact, if you'd have lived in the day when Timothy grew up, you would, if you study history, you'd have find out that they had a problem with something called homosexuality in their culture. It's a massive part of their culture. Sometimes we get the idea that, oh my goodness, this has never been a generation like ours, and there's some truth to that. No generation has ever had to deal with the internet onslaught of pornography. I read one article, because I do a ton of counseling on purity, and I read an article recently from an atheist perspective, and uh, one of the atheists said, it, just, it was just a, this was not an independent Baptist, is, is what I'm trying to say here, not a Christian-type organization, but they said that our brains have not evolved far enough to handle the imagery on the internet. Our brains can't handle it. I, I read, one article, read one article that said the average young man, the average user of internet pornography is 12 to 17 years old. The average age of the young people in your church of exposure is 11. So if you've got teens in your youth group, they're dealing with this. Statistics say so. The teens I counsel, just, you just need to know it. Teens are facing these issues. And I read this article that said that the average teenager in one night of internet pornography sees more than the average male did in a lifetime before the internet. In one night. So yeah, there are issues we don't know how to deal with. The, the breakdown of the family, the, uh, the culture. If you've got public school kids in your church, and you should. I waited for an amen there. If you've got public school kids in your church, and you should. 
Life Action, you may know about. Life Action has an article that they wrote entitled, How to Know if Your Church Needs Revival. And one of the things they said was really startling to me. They said, if everybody in your church looks exactly like everybody else, it's a sign your church needs revival. And I had to chew on that, and I thought, hmm. But I got to thinking about it. There's truth to that. Because if you're impacting people in your town, there will be people in your church who are really messed up. In fact, if you're not impacting people in your town, there'll be people in your church who are really messed up. <laughs> Is that right or wrong for crying out loud? You'd be surprised the questions I get as an evangelist. This one pastor said to me, I need some help. I need some advice. And so, you know, it's free. And I uh, said, so sure, I can give you advice. He said, you know that one couple that sits up at the front? I did because it was obvious they were new, new Christians. I mean, there was no doubt about it. these are newly saved. Just the way they responded to preaching, just the way they loved the service, just the way they sat on the end of their seat, like, you know, it was just, this, this is a great couple. He said, Dave, they want to join the church and they want to get baptized, but they're not married and they're living together and they have two children. And I said, well, this is easy. Marry them. Do you, do you, praise God, join the church. This is easy. He said, well, I can't marry them because she's married to a guy here in town who's living with a woman and they have two kids. And he's married to a lady here in town who's living with a guy and they have three kids. And he goes, what would you do? <laughs> and I answered him. I said, I would resign this church and go into evangelism. That's what I would do. Because <laughs> for the record, pastors, you that are pastors, I'm leaving town. You can deal with that. I come, have fun, I'm gone. That's your problem. <laughs> so we, we got messed up people. How do we deal with them? Well, we, we, the only thing we can do is what Paul did for Timothy. Let's read it. You got your Bible open. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank my God, I thank God rather, whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Are you already picking up some key points there? How do you minister this? Are you picking up anything there just in hearing me read it? He's mentioning several key things there just in the first four verses. In verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us, uh, this thou knowest, I, I skipped a word there, didn't I, verse 14, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost, which dwelleth in us, this thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are, are Phagellus and Hermogenes. 
The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. This is a great chapter. I, I love Paul's writing in 2 Timothy because it's personal. Now, it's obviously it's inspired word of God. You believe that and I believe that. But the Holy Spirit inspired Paul here to write something very deeply personal. And uh, there's lessons here that are incredible about how you can minister to the youth that you are working with. It's the same way Paul ministered to Timothy. I have seven points from the text, and I'm sure there'd be more, but here are seven of them. Did you notice in verse 2, there's a little nugget of, of truth here in verse 2. Paul is writing to Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Say the phrase, dearly beloved. Say that. Say it out loud. Now, it's one of those words you can't just say it. You don't just say dearly beloved. You've got to kind of feel it. And I know some of your Baptists and we Baptists don't feel anything. Uh, but I want you to feel this verse just a little bit, all right? Dearly beloved. You got, the, you got the emphasis on that? To feel it will help you. Dearly beloved. What's he trying to say here? He's trying to say to Timothy, I love you. There's a lesson for us. I don't know how to help teenagers today, but there's one thing I can do. I love you. See, you may not have any education on how to work with teenagers. Or you may have all the education in the world. But just having education doesn't mean you know the answers. But I can tell you what you can do. You can love them. You know what they will know? They will know if you do. They will know. They will know if you love them. And you can do it. So now, come on, brother. How, how do you, how do you, how, what's that look like? Well, sometimes it looks as simple as this. It's very simple. It could be like this. Hey. Just want you to know something, son. I love you. You, you. you and I underestimate the power of words. I love you. You show love. One of the things we are to do as Christians, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you carry the biggest King James Bible in the world and go to a fundamental independent Baptist church that has good music standards, that's how the world will know. Now, I do both of those. Well, I don't know that I carry the biggest King James Bible in the world, but it's a pretty good size. I got a pretty good size Bible here. I don't have the King James Jr. I got the man size one, all right? And I, I'm, I've got one on my app, but I still carry a Bible because I'm old school, okay? Um, but sometimes I use my iPad because I can't see my Bible. This is a new, new thing going on. I'm not liberal. I just can't see, all right? Just so y'all know. But uh, I, uh, I, I got to tell you, you know the verse. How does the world know that, that, that we're disciples of Jesus? By the love we have to one another. You say, well, I don't know how to help teenagers. I don't know how to answer their questions. I don't always know either, but I tell you what I can do. I can love them, and they will know. They will know. The teenagers in my neighborhood hang out at my house when I'm home. And you know why? Because they feel loved at our house. They feel loved. Uh, we have coffee every afternoon because <clears throat> we're spiritual. And um, <laughs> it's something my wife and I started doing years ago in our revival campaigns. We had homeschool all morning, and then go to eat with a pastor and go soul winning in the afternoon. And then we're getting ready for church and we got kids getting ready and life was busy, busy, busy. So at four o'clock, we decided when our kids were really small, we're going to sit down every afternoon and we're going to have coffee. So in the early days, it was tea. We had hot tea. My wife likes hot tea. And one day I got to thinking, why am I drinking hot tea? I don't like it. I will make coffee. I do like that. And so we started drinking coffee. Now I have teens. That's been years gone by. Now the teenagers drink coffee with us in the afternoon. So it's no longer me and my wife's time. It's me and the kids' time. And they come in and sit on the couch and, and, and talk to us, and we laugh, and, and, and it's worth the money to make coffee every afternoon. 
time says, I love you. Saying it says, I love you. Say it. And I know it's so hard in our generation. We're so weird in our generation. So it's so hard to say to a brother, hey, I, I just want to know I love you. I just want to know I love you. And some of you are not comfortable with that. You're like, oh, come on. I don't love them. I just teach them I don't love them. I'm here because I'm paid, okay? Um, or because I'm dumb. I don't know what it is. But if you want to impact your teens, you've got to love them. You need to learn how to say it. You don't have to be weird about it. You say, I can't say it. Then text it to them. And I promise you, your teens may roll their eyes. And it's weird. Our, our culture doesn't know how to respond to that. I remember there's a pastor I met a number of years ago. And uh, he heard me preach at Pensacola Christian College in an opening revival service for the, the fall semester. And he went home and somehow got my number and he called me. And he said, Brother Young, I just heard you preach at Pensacola Christian College, and I want to schedule you for a revival in our church. I think you'd fit in at our church. And I said, great. And we talked a little bit. And we talked, you know, the schedule and about several things. And then when it got time to, you know, close the conversation, he said, uh, okay, Brother Young, I look forward to having you. I just want you to know I love you. And I remember, I remember when he said that, I was like, that's weird. <laughs> I don't even know this guy. And I don't know what to say. I really, I didn't know what, I was like, uh, well, you too. <laughs> you, you too, you too. I didn't, know, I didn't know what to say. Isn't it weird that you and I as God's people ought to be known by our love, and yet we struggle with it? You may not be able to answer the questions, but I tell you, if a teenager comes to you and says, this, I need help with, and you, 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 you know what would be entirely appropriate to say? I don't know the answer to that, but I love you. It means the world to me. It means the world. I know different people show love in different ways. There's a guy in a church in Alabama, and uh, I went there to preach a revival, and he's uh, a really nice guy. He's, he actually owns a, a semi-trucking company, so he's like a man's man. He's a trucker kind of guy. And uh, he, uh, uh, he shows love differently than I do. When he shows love to you, he kisses you. I went there to preach, and one of my best friends was a youth pastor, and he knew this. Did he warn me? No. <laughs> Did he videotape? Maybe. <laughs> and I'm standing in the service. We're doing this fellowship. You know, you know, shake hands with those around you and tell them you're glad to see them. And everybody's shaking hands. And he comes around the front, and I'm ready to preach. I'm like, let's stop the shaking hands. It's taking time, you know. And I'm here ready to preach. And he comes around. I thought he was coming in for a hug. I can do that. He didn't come in for a hug. He came in for a kiss. Full-blown, real deal. And he kissed me, and I was like, uh. <laughs> I think he just kissed me. And then he stepped back, and he put something in my suit coat pocket. I remember that. I, I didn't remember that. I mean, I forgot it. I, mean, just, I mean, he put something in my pocket, but I was like, what in the world? And I got, I got back to the RV that night. We have our RV with us on the road in our revivals, and I remember he put something in my pocket, and I went, and I opened it, and, and I'm serious about this. The guy put an envelope in my pocket with $1,000 in it. The next night, I was like, where is he, brother? <laughs> I don't know where he is, but I'm okay with this kissing thing now. So, so it's my rule of thumb. I'm okay with you kissing me if it involves $1,000, okay? So, so don't, don't try it otherwise, because I'm not comfortable with it. And, and here's my point. I know that some of you aren't comfortable. Some of you are like, I don't, I'm not comfortable. My dad never said I love you. Now, I don't mean this to be mean, but it's the truth. Just because our dads are wrong doesn't mean we have to be. Well, I wasn't raised in a loving family. Okay, build a stinking bridge and get over it. Change the way you were raised. You could say to your teenager, 
I switch and I love you. You have to be weird about it. But Paul wrote a letter to Timothy here that the Holy Spirit of God inspired and preserved for me and you. And it starts with, you're my dearly beloved son. A lot of your teenagers, their mom and dad are too busy to say it. They need to hear it. There's something that brings peace to the heart of a young person when they know they're loved. That's the truth. When they know somebody cares about them. It starts with love. You may feel totally unable to work with teenagers, but I guarantee you, by the Holy Spirit's help, you can love them. Say it. Show it. I don't know how many times I've heard teenagers say to me, my youth pastor comes to my football game. I looked from the stands and he was there. Takes time to show love. You got a teenager who loves Chick Chick Fil A. Spend some money and support a good cause. <laughs> they like, you know, maybe maybe there's a girl in your church that she's never had anybody ever in her life send her flowers. And one of you ladies could just send her flowers on her birthday and say, "Hey, just want you to know we love you." So you got to show it. Love is meant to be shown. Like if you're married, don't you show it? It's one thing to say it to your wife, but she wants you to show it. She wants you to give her $500 and send her shopping. (laughs) Show her you love her. She wants you to buy her roses. My wife's not here. That's why I can say that. (laughs) She wants you you to take her out to eat. He wants you to show it. He wants you to tell him, honey, you the man. God designed us men to believe that. (laughs) That's the truth. When your wife says you the man, every guy's like, oh, yes, you don't come to think of it. That's just how God made us. We respond to love. I was, in, I was at a camp several years ago, junior camp, and I was speaking to these junior campers. And junior campers, you've got to be really energetic to keep their attention. And I was, like, working hard, and it was the first night of camp, and they had ridden all day, you know, and stayed up all night before they came to camp because they're so excited to go. And the first service, they're outside playing all day, and they come in, it's air-conditioned, and they're all kind of starting to fade. And I, was, I found if you get teenagers responding, or juniors, rather, responding, they're with you. And I was trying to teach them how that God showed his love to us by, by sending his son to die for our sins. He showed it. He showed it. And I said, you know, boys and girls, it's like your mom and dad. Because if your dad is the man he ought to be, he shows your mom he loves her. I said, how can a husband show his wife he loves her? Juniors are great. They're like, I know, I know. They're all joined. You know, teens will just look at you. But juniors are like, I know, I got the answer, I got the answer. I got all kinds of, he could tail her. So one kid's, he could tail her. And I got all kinds of answers. One kid, you're like, he could kiss her. And they're all like, uh, you know. But there was one little boy, I don't think I'll ever forget it. One little boy, he goes, uh, he could buy her some fried chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Reckon there's a story behind that answer, you know. And I've been in trouble with my wife and bought flowers a couple of times, but I never thought to buy fried chicken. (laughs) My simple point is this. You, you can love. Paul loved Timothy. Look at the second one here. He prayed for him. He prayed for him. He says it very sincerely in verse 4. I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. The first two may be the most important things I'm going to tell you today. Your teenagers need you to, your young people need you to love them and to pray for them. You realize that the only thing going in some of the teenagers' lives in your church may be your prayers. They may be getting no help at home. They may be getting no help from the Internet. 
they're getting no help from their, their peers. Maybe they're getting no help from their teachers at school. And the only thing going for them may be your praying. And I will tell you that there is an almighty God in heaven who still hears prayer. And he still answers it. Learn to pray for your young people. And I know some of you have a really big youth group. A number of years ago in my own prayer life, there were so many things I wanted to pray for. I didn't have time to pray for them. I couldn't get through the, I write things down that I'm praying for. So I actually divided my prayer list in, into uh, seven days. There's some things I pray for every day. I got a daily list every day. It's on every day. If I do nothing else, I pray for that. But on Sunday, I have a special list just for Sunday. And on Monday, I have a list just for Monday. And on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, I've divided my prayer list up. You could do that with your teenagers. Maybe you've got a pretty good-sized youth group. Pray for 15 of them on Monday or five of them on Monday. Pray for them. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because you know what? A teenager may be struggling and in their heart crying out for help. And, and I don't understand how all of this works, but I believe it's in the Bible. A teenager may be struggling and crying out for help, and the Holy Spirit of God may prompt your heart to pray because there's something about you and I going to the throne of Almighty God that has to do with spiritual warfare. Maybe the devil's attacking one of your teenagers and you're driving home from work in rush hour traffic and the Spirit of God's going to call up in your car, turn off Rush Limbaugh and spend some time in prayer. You'll be happier and your teenagers will be holier. You can pray. You can pray. Do you pray for your teenagers by name? And, and I, I, I think sometimes... I think sometimes our generation is so busy that our prayer lives kind of stink. Most of our praying is fast. We're on the run. We're praying while we're on the flow. We're on the go. We're on the run. I'm talking about sometimes we need to do some of this kind of praying again. To where we take time to get on our knees before God. See, you've got a teenager in your church that, that's running. Some of you've got a teenager in your church, and they're running from God. And really, the truth of the matter is, here's, here's, what, here's what some of you think. There's no hope. They're not going to make it. But I'm telling you, there's a God in heaven who can still do miracles. Get on your knees and cry out to God. I called a youth pastor yesterday to ask him about a young man. How's he doing? Uh, I don't know, Dave. He's in and out of church. He's run away from home. He now lives with his grandma. She didn't care anything about him. The list just goes on and on. Everything in the world is against that young man. But there's two things I know that's on his side. There's a youth pastor named Mike that prays for him, and there's an evangelist, Dave, Dave Young, that does too. God is able to take the most messed up kid and through our praying, do something in their heart to turn their life around. God is able. You don't, don't ever judge. And you've got a kid in your church, and they, they're on every I, and they cross every T the way they're supposed to. But, and don't you think for a moment, well, they're doing good. They're doing good. They're okay. They may not be okay, because you never know what's going on in a heart. You ever, you ever had a situation in your church to where uh, they, they got a divorce and you were stunned? They were having problems? Because we're so good at church at being fake, aren't we? I mean, you can have the biggest fight in the world with your wife on the way to church, but nobody knows when you get there. Hello, brother. God bless you, sister. Don't y'all look at me that way. I know you do it. Y'all like that, not us. We're very spiritual people. See, church is a place where we've been taught to fake it. And you got teenagers that'll go to church and they'll stand and sing, but in their heart, they're battling purity. And they wish there was somebody that loved them enough that they could tell them and they feel safe in that love. 
The reason you don't know it is because they're scared. They're scared to tell somebody. And sometimes I understand, because there's sometimes in your life, if you were to tell somebody, here's what they do. <gasps> no. I've learned to be matter of fact. Dealing with teenagers, if a teen comes and tells you the most off-the-wall, astronomically shocking thing, don't react. Go, hey, okay, I can help you with that. Even if inside you're going, I'm going to go to the bathroom and throw up. Don't let them know it. Just be very matter of fact. Oh, you're battling pornography, huh? I can help you with that. You ready? Let's get started. Just be matter of fact. Well, you're not the first one that's done it. A lot of people, a lot of people have battled it, and I know a ton of people that have overcome it. You want to overcome it? Then I'm your man. I will walk with you. I will fight with you. I will stand by you when you need it. I am on your side. I will pray for you. You can do it. You can pray. You pray for your teenagers, your juniors. They need you. Remember this, the greatest thing going in some of your young people's lives is your praying. Don't ever underestimate that. Paul said, Timothy, without ceasing. You think he meant that? It's all the time I'm praying for you. I don't know that I understood this until I started mentoring the guys who worked for me. I've hired a lot of young men through the years to travel with me in evangelistic work, and um, I teach them everything I know, which takes like 20 minutes. And... Uh, and then I just let them live with me. They see me on the days when I'm not feeling well. They see me on the days when my wife and I are a little out of sorts because we're not walking in the Spirit. They see me when I'm really doing a good job as a daddy. I'm batting right up there, high average. But they also see me when I'm impatient and harsh. And uh, mentoring's hard let them into your life and see your life, that you're real. And uh, I, I, I've learned in the midst of working with others in that, that way to, to love and pray for them and to carry them in my heart. One of my, uh, one of my guys is speaking at a camp in Michigan. And one of the first things I thought of when I awakened this morning and the alarm went off, he'll be preaching in a few hours. And I prayed for him because I love him. I want him to do well. I want God to use him, and God is using him. He travels around the world and, 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 and does our international work, and I love him. Pray for him. With, I understand. I'm getting a glimpse a little bit the older I get of what Paul's talking about here. Your teenagers need this investment from you. You don't have to have all the apologetic answers down pat. You don't have to know all the answers on how they can overcome all the addictions of this generation, but you do have to love them, and you do have to pray for them, and you can. Am I making sense so far? Are you all with me? Then let me give you these last ones. They're, they're a little more simple. Uh, I like verse 4. Greatly desiring to see thee. Now, this is so simple, isn't it? Here's, here's what I learned from that one. He just enjoyed seeing him. You say, that's because you don't know our teenagers. Uh, maybe. But enjoy seeing them. Every kid in your group is put there by the divine appointment of Almighty God. Do you believe that? It's the truth. So enjoy them. Just enjoy them. Maybe they're quirky as the day is long. Every, every kid is different, aren't they? I got five in my family, just to my own children. They're all different. Abby is my industrious one. She can get the job done, and she'll get you working too, and you'll get the job done. She's just that way. My Joshua, he's steady. He can't get the job done. It takes him a You don't hurry him. If you hurry him, it frustrates him. He can't do anything. He has one pace. He'll get it done, but he's very calm. Nothing phases him. He's steady. He's just there. 
doing what he's supposed to do. That's my Joshua. My Matthew, he plays with toys. He's, he stocks himself for video reasons. He's home alone these next four days, which is helping my prayer life. I said, don't you dare burn down my house while I'm gone. Because you just never know. I mean, he's just, he's that kind of kid. He, he's always experimenting. My kids are good at that. He's experimenting. Then there's my Jacob who's here. Jacob's timid. He, he's, he's, he's a little bit of a prophet. He feels very strongly about things. Well, that's not right. He'll tell you flat out. But then he's kind of behind the scenes. He's a little timid. Your teens are that way. They're all different. And, and it's okay. You've got some teens you're going to like better than others. You're like, that's that kid right there, man. I like being around him. And then you've got one that's going to drive you insane. But they need you to love them and want to be around them too. They need you to encourage them, to strengthen them, to be there for them. Sometimes they need you to help them to say, hey, you know, that's kind of dumb. Stop it. And sometimes they need you to jump in and tase yourself. Just be a good, good worker with you. You can buy one of these. It was only 12 bucks. <laughs> so I'll tell you what, if you'll let me shock you, I'll let you shock me. Let them go first and then back out. <laughs> That's really bad advice, so don't write that down. He enjoyed seeing him. He cared for him. Because in verse 4, he says, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears. Now, here's what's amazing in the Bible. I wonder what these tears were for. Wonder why Timothy has tears. The Bible never tells us. But Paul wrote him a personal letter to say, I'm aware of what's going on in your life and that there's a lot of sorrow right now in your life. I'm aware of that and I care. I care. You can do it. You can love. You can pray. You can enjoy being around your young people. You can care for them. I, I like verses 5 and 6 as well. He praised his family. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and so forth. Notice, notice he's praising his family. Now, that can be really difficult in our generation, but you ought to look for reasons to praise the family of the young people on your responsibility. Sometimes you have to work at it, because some families are so messed up. But maybe, maybe you can find a reason. Find, in fact, work at finding a reason. Maybe it's so, something so small it seems insignificant, but you could say, you know, yeah, I, got, I got to tell you, I appreciate the fact that your mom lets you come to my youth group. I appreciate you, the fact that your daddy lets you come to camp with him. See, find a reason to praise. And if you've got kids in your church who have really good parents, find reasons to praise them. Let them, point them back to their family. Paul said, hey, you've got a, you a great-grandmother there, and she is a really great lady. You are what you are because of her. You've got, really, you got a really great mom. Because of her belief, look what God's done in your life. Because of Lois and Eunice, Paul has a, a friend named Timothy. If it hadn't been for them, he wouldn't have had that friend named Timothy. I got thinking the other day that, that about 75% of my friends are younger than I am. Just simply because I've worked at mentoring younger people. A, a guy's name came up the other day, and, and I joked about him a little bit. Just kind of being silly. My wife said, you shouldn't joke about that. It's, you know, it's kind of, okay. She said, you know he would kill people over you. I was like, I didn't know that. I hope not. But on this side, I'm like, that's kind of cool. Don't you joke about him. She said, he loves you. He, he, he's got your six. It's kind of nice to have people in your life that 
You don't say bad things about me because they'll whip you. I just like people like that. <laughs> you know what? You've got teenagers that are going to be that loyal to you in the years to come if you'll follow Paul's advice here. When they think about, in my teenage years, my teenage years, you know what was great in my teenage years? They're going to call your name. Look what they did to me. They prayed for me when nobody else prayed. They loved me when nobody else was loving me. They cared. They knew I was battling my purity, and they weren't even shocked by it. They just stood there by me and kept telling me, you can do it. You can make it. You're going to make it. I'm here to fight with you. I will fight with you all the way down to the end. Your teens, your children, your juniors need this. You all with me? This is what he, he just points them back to his family. you got a great family, he said. I want to remind you of them. I want to, I want to, I want to remember them myself and, and, and tell you how good they are. He praised his family. He instructed him in these next few verses. Now he says, be not ashamed of me, verses 8 and following. He's giving him instructions. Uh, don't be ashamed. In fact, you've got to get verse 7. Don't be afraid, Timothy. I, I read these verses and I think, first of all, the one about the tears. I don't know why he's crying. And, and, and what's he afraid of? I don't know. There's some fear. I have a feeling it had to do with the suffering that Paul was going through. And I think Paul might, or Timothy rather, might have been wrestling. Am I willing to, to suffer the way Paul's suffering for what God's called me to do? It's hard for us to understand that because we rarely suffer for our faith. But you do remember, don't you, that Paul's writing here, he's in prison. And I, I've been to Rome, and I've stood on the street next to where they believed he was incarcerated. And it was under the ground, and it was dark, and it was cold, and it was dismal, and it was wet. It wasn't anything nice. He might be writing to Paul here because Paul's a little afraid. You might have a teen in your church that's afraid. You've got to instruct them. One of the things I'm trying to do this week is to tell your young people in the, in the teen, teen camp, don't be afraid to serve God. Don't be afraid of it. I'm 48 years old having the time of my life. Life's not always easy. We have battles and burdens and sorrows and sadnesses at times. Look at anybody else. But it's worth it to serve God. I'm just having the time of my life. Happily married, got a happy family. My kids are falling in love with people whom we are giving thumbs up to. The Adams family's here. Their son and my daughter have this thing going, and I'm happy about it. I'm not bothered at all. I think it's great. Some dads are like, not my daughter. I'm not that way. I'm like, Mary, or I like you. This is good. This is good. I want to be that kind. Here's, here's what he's trying to tell us. He's just trying to, he's trying to instruct him. He's teaching him. And, 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 and you gotta, you got to get, get involved in teaching your teenagers. they got to know how to. Some of your kids go to public school, and they got teachers, and they're ridiculing Christianity. Teach them how to answer it. Teach them how to ask questions. I don't always know the answer, but I can ask questions. Why? Why, why would you say that? Why do you believe that? Well, how's that happen? Where'd you get that? Well, how do you know that's true? Teach your teens to ask questions in this generation. Why and how and, and uh, how, how do you know? Can you prove it? How do you know? Ask questions. My, my friend Evangelist Micah Self and I were playing tennis one day, and uh, we left the tennis courts, and we're getting ready to head back to the church to get ready for the evening service, and there was this a group of college kids sitting out on this park, and uh, Brother Self walked over to them, and he, he said to me, he said, I'm going to go invite them to our revival. So he goes over to them, and, and they're a pretty rough-looking group. You know what I mean by that? I don't mean that to be mean. I'm not judging. It's just a pretty rough-looking group. So he goes over to them, and he said, hey, uh, I'm, uh, I'm Micah Self, and, and uh, I, uh, actually, I'm a preacher, and I, I want to give you an invitation to some special services we're having. This one girl, she stands, she turns to him, 
and, and, and she says to him, just so you know, I'm gay and I'm wicked. And he goes, oh, okay. I just want to invite you to church. And uh, she goes, you didn't hear me, did you? So she said it again. So he goes, well, why? And she goes, what do you mean why? Well, why are you gay? Why are you wicked? And she goes, what do you mean why? He said, no, seriously, why? And the kids on the, the, the college kids that were over there were like, we'll answer him. And I'm like over here going, yes. Let's get this video, man. This is good right here, you know. And, you know, I watched uh, my friend Brother Self stand there. I don't know that he had the answer for Wiccan. I don't even know if he knows anything about Wiccan or not. He just kept asking questions. And what was even funnier was, it was, it was I didn't videotape it because they would have noticed it, but I, I kind of wanted to because the group on the ground, they would go to her like this, and then they would go. And then they look back at him. Nobody said a word but those two for 30 minutes. And it was all said and done. She goes, well, it's good to talk to you. You guys don't have to be afraid of the culture we live in. Everybody's like spouting all this untruth. You don't have to be afraid of that. You say, well, I don't know how to answer it. No, but you can ask questions. So somebody in our, in our, in our, our teens are being asked these kind of questions all the time. Well, if your God is love, how do you explain evil? That doesn't bother me a bit to ask me that question. I just don't answer it. I just ask a question. If evolution's true, how do you explain it? Teacher kids ask questions. I'd much rather explain it from my theological view of a loving God who never designed a world to have evil than to explain it from an evolutionary view that we evolved this way and there's nothing we can do about it. Ask questions. See, Paul's teaching Timothy here. He's letting him know he loves him. He's letting him know he cares about him. He's letting him know he's praying for him, that he has a great family. And now he starts instructing him. Timothy, you don't have to be afraid. And, and, I, and I love this. He includes him, by the way. Notice how often he says the word us there in verse 9. This is amazing. Here's the great apostle Paul. How many of you agree that he's a pretty great man of God? Y'all agree with that? And here's what he says about Timothy in verse 9. Who hath saved us. Me and you, Timothy. This God of the universe saved us. And by the way, Timothy, he called us with a holy calling. In the same way that God called me, Timothy, you know, the great apostle Paul that I am. You know, Timothy, me. You know, Timothy, I wrote Romans and First and Second Corinthians. I might have written Hebrew. <laughs> you know how he lists that? You know, he's got all that written down here. Me and you, Timothy, the same God that called me to do what I'm doing has called you with a holy calling too. It's not our works, Timothy, but according to his purpose and grace. He's made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus, who's abolished death. I'm appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. What's he trying to say to Timothy? You can serve God too. He's instructing him. And, and the seventh one is just that simply. He challenged him to serve with him. Don't be afraid. Be a partaker with me. Serve Jesus with me. The point I'm making this afternoon, I wanted to encourage you, or this morning rather, I wanted to encourage you that you can mentor teenagers. You can mentor boys and girls. And this is all it takes. He loved him. He prayed for him. 
He enjoyed seeing him. He cared for him. He praised his family. He instructed him. And he challenged him to serve God too. Any one of you can do that. Learn all you can. There's a ton of stuff we need to figure out as we're working with teens today in the culture we live in. That's true. So learn. Get on the reasonable faith video type things that I showed last night and point your kids to some of those. They give reasonable answers to scientific questions of our day. Use all the technology you can to help your teenagers, but don't forget to love them. Study and take them to conferences and camps, but don't forget to pray for them. Don't forget to praise their family. Don't forget to encourage them. Don't forget to partner with them. Most of you are going to go soul winning, I hope. Take a teenager with you. Going to go to make a hospital visit, you that are in the ministry, take a teen with you. I was at a camp a number of years ago, and there was a youth pastor there, and he's, can I say this without being offensive? In a sense, he's least likely to succeed. His personality is like this. He's not your typical youth pastor kind of guy. He's not talented. He's not not amazing speaker. But there were two teenage boys that were just always by his side. They just, and it was obvious, they love him. So I asked about them. He said, Dave, they, um, they don't have a daddy. They're brothers. They live with their grandmother because mommy doesn't want them. And I don't know how to help them. So he said, if I'm going to the store, I run by the house and take them with me. Um, I take them out to eat. I pray with them and pray for them. When I go make hospital calls, I take them with me. When I go door to door, I take them with me door to door. If I'm going to a counseling session, I take them with me. Let them listen. I got to tell you, those boys with no daddy and no mommy were on fire for God. Loved them. I preached a sermon at camp that summer from Job 31.1. It was just an aside. I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think on a maid? It's about purity. Job is writing about purity. And I, I, it's something my boys and I have done for years. I don't even know where I got it now. It's not original to me, but somewhere along the way I picked it up. And uh, the author I read said what you should do when it comes to purity issues is dial 311. Not 911, 311. Job 311. Make a covenant with your eyes. Dial 311. And after I preached at camp, they went home and said to their grandma, can we paint our room? And she said, yeah, I guess that's okay. So they painted it, but not the way she thought they were going to. They went and bought a can of spray paint. Took everything off of one wall and spray painted Three, one, one, exclamation point. Just from a little sermon, just a little, it's nothing, it's just a little thing. Dial three, it's just so small and insignificant. But for those boys, it meant the world. Their grandmother, their grandmother, when they got home and, and all, she came to family camp because they wanted to come back to camp again. And I got to speak with her at family camp. God's working in her heart now through a youth pastor who's investing in her teenagers. God wants to use you. You're important. 
you may not be a big dog and a big name, and nobody may ever write a book about you. You may never run a Christian camp as incredible as the wild. You can touch lives. And every life you touch is worth it and is eternal. May God help you to succeed. Have it made sense? Technically, we have seven, eight, nine minutes. So first of all, I want to go on record that I ended early. <laughs> if you have my wife's number, please text her and tell her that. <laughs> but I also wanted to take just five minutes before we go to lunch to see if you had a question that, that you'd want to ask in relation to youth ministry or mentoring. Yes, sir? Well, it, it, not, not really. I, I do, uh, I partnered with one of my evangelist friends, and we do uh, purity conferences in Christian schools. So some of that is recorded, and, uh, but uh, that would be the only, only way it's recorded. Yes, sir? Yes, sir, I have. Um, one of the ministries we tell our families, and we remind ourselves of this, is that one of our ministries is to help preachers' kids enjoy life. Because every week I'm with a different pastor and his kids, and, and normally we sit at the table and talk about the latest theological issues or the latest people issues. And I tell my kids, don't, don't listen. You don't need to know those. Sit at the other end of the table and help the pastor's kids to have fun. And, uh, and we've taught the kids things you can do that won't get you kicked out of restaurants that are still fun. And, um, and, and with my kids, that's important to teach. But yes, we do, we do counsel that along the way. And uh, uh, there, there's, there's really two answers to that. One is a parent answer. Like um, my kids, I, I've always told my kids, you may not have friends because you travel with your daddy. But your daddy will try to be the coolest friend you have. And, and so part of that has to be counseled from the pastor my kids have had so much fun serving the Lord with mommy and daddy that they don't realize that they don't have close friends. And, uh, and then the other side of that is I think it's important to have a big family. <laughs> By the fact that we have five kids, it means our kids have friends with each other. My boys have built-in buddies. Matt, Josh, and, and Jake are pals. In fact, uh, family devotions we have renamed to family commotions. Because <laughs> uh, it's hard to get them serious. I'll read one verse. So part of it can be answered by a family. The family has to be strengthened that involves those pastor's kids. And, and we've never wanted our kids, so I, I got I to start by answering it as a family. Um, we've never wanted our kids to think it's a bad thing to be in ministry. So we tell our kids all the time, my, my kids have never heard us complain. It's great to serve the Lord. Do I make less money? You better believe it. But it's great to serve the Lord. It's great to serve the Lord. Look what we get. We get to go to the wilds this week. You get to go to the wilds. You get to hear Daddy preach twice a day. And I will buy you coffee every afternoon. Uh, I will do anything you want to do. Um, but if you're counseling the kid himself, what you, what you have to do is, is, first of all, you have to remind the young person that they find their confidence in Jesus Christ. He is a real person. And he is a great friend. The second thing is that, that teenagers have to lead. I told my kids, typically you're going to go to a church with a youth group to where the teenagers all follow. I want you to lead. So if you go into a Sunday, um, for instance, in, in our church, in, uh, of course, Brother Bobby here would remember this maybe, but in our church we had some of the bus boys that came in. 
I'm trying to think of their names right now, and I can't really slip my mind. But they wore hip-hop, and, 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 and they came out of the van, the church van, from the roughest ghetto area of our town. And um, when I came into church, the first morning they came, they were sitting on the front row by my boys. My boys saw these guys. They obviously don't fit in. They obviously aren't part of our youth group. So we've taught our kids, we've taught our kids to be positive about serving the Lord. And secondly, to lead. The other teens may not go after you. You do what's right and set the tone. You lead. You be the one to say, this is what we're going to do. Now, that's not something you, you, you do with, it doesn't happen on kids. But it is something that I can say to a pastor's kids or a preacher's kids, if, if you will find your confidence in Jesus Christ, because if you have no friends at all and you have Jesus, you've got more than the world has. And the second thing is, it's never a bad thing to serve the Lord. We keep a positive. You've got you to keep a positive spirit. Isn't it great to serve God? I get to go to church. Uh, the third answer to that is, be a leader. Be a leader. You lead. You reach out. You go after them. In every youth group, there's going to be a kid who doesn't fit in. Go be friends with them. You're going to find out. They're normal people, and they may have a lot of fun. My son, Matthew, is friends with a guy named Kyle. And Kyle is the oddest kid I've ever met in my life. And it's just the truth. Kyle's a loner. Nobody wants to hang around him because he's just weird. But my son has befriended him and, uh, and, and does weird things with him. They, 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 they just hang out occasionally. And so my son is led. The other part of that, there's one more answer to that. And this is the counsel I would give. And the counsel that we give our children is never forget that friendship doesn't have to be peer-based. You can be friends with the older people in the church too. And our kids, our kids have learned to talk to adults. So when we're in a church and the youth group doesn't include my kids, they just get to know the older people. And we got some really, my kids have some really good friends around the country that are, that are grandparents that'll write my kids because my kids, since none of the other teens would hang around them, they just hung around with daddy and, and the older people in the church. So there are answers to that, but that's a really tricky one to mentor. And, and sometimes, sometimes if, if you're not a pastor and you have your pastor's kids, it can be difficult for your pastor's kids at times. They are pressured. Don't pressure your pastor's kids. Let them be normal. Let them be normal. They're normal, so let them be normal. And don't, does that answer your question, my brother? And did you have a question or an addition to that? Okay. Yeah, we got three minutes, so. Several things. First of all, we in our churches have to be okay with that. Meaning they're going to dress in ways that our teens don't dress. We have to be okay with that. Their hair is going to be longer than my son's hair is permitted to be. But i got to be okay with that. Uh, they may be a little rough around the edges. Like, like our neighbor across the street got saved. Uh, my son led her to the Lord. She's 14 years old, so she started coming to church. And in our church, our church, the girls wear dresses. And she wears jeans. But we're okay with that. Come on in your jeans. I'm okay with that. To try to fit in with the girls, you know what she did? She went and bought a dress. The skimpiest, 
and she wore it to church. And for the first time in my life, I prayed that God would help her to wear jeans to church. <laughs> it's like, Lord, I feel like a liberal praying this, Lord, and I hope you're okay with that. Would you help her to wear jeans to church? Because I don't want her wearing that dress to church. God, would. You have to be okay with it, first of all. And then secondly, you have to reach out. You have to reach out to them. Uh, I, I was with, uh, I, I know it, the Central Baptist is here um, uh, from t- uh, Greenville, Tennessee. And their former pastor, their former pastor is now in Fairfax Baptist Temple. And Fairfax Baptist Temple in Fairfax, Virginia is a very strong Christian school church. And everybody in the church was in a Christian school or homeschooled. When he came in there and he said, why? Are there not unsaved public school kids in this town that we're trying to reach? And so what he did is he started incorporating. First thing he said was, does anybody here in our church teach in the public schools? Four ladies did. So every Wednesday night they pray for those four public schools and those four teachers that are teaching in the public school. It's just a mindset of saying, you know what, here's a wide open mission field of teenagers that need Jesus in their life, and here's four of our members that are with them every single day. We better pray for these members. We got to. We got to hold them up. And uh, and now that they've changed the culture in that church, here's what's okay in that church. It's okay to bring your unsaved neighbors. It's okay to bring kids who are crazy wacky. And I loved it. When I was there the last time, there was a, there was a kid that cornered uh, my staff evangelist for an hour with questions. And they were good ones. You say you believe this, but what about this? They were good questions. I, 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 I think you make an effort. So God bless you for trying. And, and I recommend all of you. There's public school kids in your, your, your town that need Christ. Love them. And the fields are wide. There's one revival I read in the Assembly of God. Don't tell anybody I read about it. Um, in the Assembly of God in West Virginia up in the mountains. And one young man went to a tent revival in the Assembly of God. And boy, he got on fire for the Lord. And he went to his public school. This was an incredible story. He went to his public school in West Virginia and during lunch stood on a chair and said, hey, 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 I want to tell you all something. And all the teens stopped and he said, I got to tell you what God did in my life. And he told them how he had come to know Christ in the tent revival. And according to the article I read in the West Virginia paper, 150 teenagers in that school prayed with him that they wanted to be saved too. The fields are, I was a public school kid that got saved because a man came into my life and went after me and worked on me, and I got saved and came to Christ because of it. And I, I love Christian education. I homeschool my kids because I, I believe education is so strong. I, I, I am, but we never want to overlook. Uh, if I were a youth pastor, I'd, be, I'd want to know who the principal's name is. I'd want to even know my name. I'd want to even know, here comes Dave Young again. And I'd want to do all I can to be there. And in this culture, kids are going to commit suicide. You ought to be there. You ought to be there to pray with the teachers. You ought to be there to pray with the principal. You ought to be there to say, hey, we're from such and such church, and we love you, and we care about you. Can we help? What can we do? What can we do? And you'll find everywhere in the world people are looking, people are hungry, our culture is hungry. And let's love people and win them to Jesus.